So, developing the skill of, of samadhi. Samadhi can be used as a very, quite broadly, the Buddha used it in the analysis of the teachings as Sila Samadhi Panya in the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, which is, which is the analysis that uh, Buddha Gosa, Charya Buddha Gosa uses. It's kind of foundation of what Theravada is that threefold analysis, uh, Sila Samadhi Panya. Sila, virtue, ethics, conduct, right down to mental conduct, verbal conduct. We call them Samadhi, which means, broadly speaking, in this sense, meditation or the cultivation of a composed, unified awareness. And Panya, wisdom or discernment. And how all these three work together in that uh, an ethical understanding is important. It helps to recognize what we're putting in, the quality of what we're putting in, any whether it's talking, moving around, doing things, or even the, the attitudes we bear in mind in terms of how we relate to ourselves or to our mental uh, domain whether it's brutal, compassionate, uh, because it's this quality of how we relate to things that's the the keystone of ethics. How we relate to touch, sight, sound, objects, and even mental states. What's the sense of that cause and effect? Because how we relate to it has its own results. So in this way, uh, morality, ethics is just another way of looking at the experience of uh, kindness, compassion. You know. Doesn't by any means, when we, we put those two together as a relational sense, it doesn't by any means we're just sentimental or condoning things, but there's a sense of this is for one's welfare. You know, pulling out a thorn isn't necessarily a pleasing experience, but the result is good. So it's always done with that intention for for one's welfare. Mm-hmm. And so this is very important because it it does continually keep reminding us of the this innate value, you know, both the value of correct or appropriate re- relationships to things with appropriate responses, but also really instilling this sense that, that the mind itself is a treasure. It's not just a rubbish bin that stuff gets trashed in, thrown in, or a madhouse. <laughs> Crazy thoughts and ideas. There's something very precious in that, that you've got to use it carefully, then it will come out of its weird, wacky states and its kind of careening lunacies. If you, if you, behave, if you treat it carefully and persistently, and we're looking almost like an education in that, so when you educate a child, it doesn't doesn't grow up in a year. So this is actually a kind of a life practice that we're continually looking at our our uh, dismissiveness or our couldn't care less. Some of these less uh, aggressive defilements of dreariness or the boredom or the uh, these um, which all come out of uh, relationship relational experiences. 
you know, often on the external level, how we treat or are treated by others, can become a, a blueprint for how we end up relating to ourselves. So it's to bring back that sense of self-respect, self-value, because in the present, you recollect, you can do things that are good, and generous, kind, and you want to reap the results of that. This is where, of course, the, the mindfulness is both the, uh, that which bears things in mind, is not separate from ethics, and it's also part of samadhi, of this fashioning, this unifying and steadying our awareness. It's a, it's a, a feature of all these skillful conditions is they all focus around right view, right effort, and right mindfulness as the unifying qualities of the path, right effort, right view, right effort, right mindfulness. Right view is the understanding there is a worthwhile effect. There are causes that we can bring into play that will give us good results. This is right view. And also that there is a, a way out, a release you know, from suffering. So this is this one is the right view we can immediately uh, activate, and the other is something we hold in faith. When we activate, is the sense of check it out, you know, put your mind onto something that's generous or loving or skillful, clear. What's the results? Put it onto something that's distressing, agitating craving, aversion, what's the results? Mm-hmm. Mindfulness, you bear it in mind to really witness the results. Right effort, you make the effort to do so. Mindfulness is so important because it's one of the features that a distracted, agitated mind doesn't really acknowledge the results of its behavior. So, you know, this is where a lot of people are at because their lives are so spinning and busy and saturated, there's not enough bearing one thing in mind long enough to witness what happens, how it goes, what's the result of that. Someone can have an enormous uh, tangle of, of causes and effects that are still ricocheting and re-triggering themselves and laying down patterns of behavior, worry patterns, obsession patterns, self doubt patterns, self-aversion patterns. We don't even know we're doing them because we're not. They're just kind of bouncing around. Because one hasn't really had that sati, the mindfulness, to just bear one thing in mind, stay with it, come to the end of it, check it out, and deliberately, right effort, place attention on something skillful. So this ability to discharge, to release the unskillful, finish it, even if it's just momentarily get to the end and what was all that? What was all that? Flurry and worry, doubt and dark mood. What is it? So it's like a cloud, like a shadow. Uh, 
And yet it has this tremendous power if we're not mindful of it and investigate its essence. It's substanceless. It's kept in place by not by lack of mindfulness, by lack of clarity, by lack of persistent attention. It keeps, you know, because we get, we participate in it, or we ricochet, we react to it, it just keeps going. Seeing so, you know, these kind of tape loops running for years. Yeah. Sometimes it's good to just deliberately pick up one of these and slow it down, a particular train of thought or how stupid it is, however weary one is of it, take it, slow it down, slow it down, thoroughly examine it till you get to the place where it, it ends. And you see it just what it is. It's like a living with a squirrel in the roof of your cootie and things rat, you know, rattling around. Chewing, making a mess. How do you let it out? It's not through getting angry and banging on the roof. The way out is through mindfulness. Because there is a point at which these, through, through mindfulness, through not giving any more energy to something, by not emotionally believing in something, by not emotionally being phased by something, that we cease to contribute this emotional energy to our thoughts. That's what keeps them going. It's this compulsive. And we don't even, we're not even doing it, it's just happening. It's become a habit to give emotional energy to our disturbing thoughts, being fed up with them, being angry with them. Uh, fondling them. You know, get over it. So, so if we start to transfer emotional energy just to a general all-round spaciousness, kindness, compassion, you know, just that attitude, you know, it's, it's moving your emotional body out of this um, this area of obsessive thoughts and maladaptive um, emotional programs. And so, you know, part of that is this effort, isn't it? And then we need something to bring it to, so we bring it to, we have, on one level you have objects such as uh, a devotional sense to the Buddha, to the sacred, that lifting up, Placing oneself, emotional body there, you know, to the beautiful, to the lovely, to that which we can respect, to the inspiring, to people where we have respect and feel grateful to, that sense in which we can, to to really see the blessings of our lives. You consider the, the lot of human beings in general. If you took at seven billion humans on the planet, a lot of them in general is what? Well, hunger, deprivation, violence, being violated, 
That's the basic pattern. Other people stressed, driven, needy, confused, addicted. So like, this is the cream, you know. (laughs) If you practice it in this, you're already in the kind of the, the Premier League, as it were. Not many, you know, don't know what percentage it is. And in a situation where that, that uh, one doesn't have to, one is encouraged not to get into the, the craziness. Great. Mm-hmm. And the body is relatively healthy. One isn't kind of bedridden and uh, strapped up or going insane or you can move your body around. It's still functioning. Imagine what it's like when it starts to fall apart. So while we have this that sense of, you know, the treasure, and that all of us have received goodwill. So every day there's some goodwill. Just think of it specifically. You know, the offering of food, the small acts, the large acts of service, the, the Christmas card, whatever it is, some sense of, some feeling that a lot of the time people are saying, thank you. Mm-hmm. In some, in some way, in some gesture, in the in this Dharma situation, anyway. So to re- receive that, not as an idea, but to feel what it feels like to be on the receiving end of goodness, and to just be willing to receive it. Sometimes our minds are so hasty and rush past. The power of mindfulness is there to slow it down and hold it upon a skillful impression. You know, now you don't have to prove, now you don't have to defend. You're out of the dock, you're out of the courtroom. You're not at a job, you don't have to produce the goods. You know, it's that sense of that and, and the, the gift. And bringing that, the fullness of mindfulness is to bring it from an idea into a felt sense, an emotional sense, comfort, well-being, gratitude, relief, and into the the body sense, calm, open, Relaxed in the shoulders, opening the chest, softening in the throat, relaxing in the head. So those places in our bodies which are tightened up with doing and making and defending can release, and you you begin to the mind and body begin to unify. So this is when we extend mindfulness, bearing something in mind, not just as an idea but through the whole of the the three facets of how we receive experience, bodily, emotionally or psychologically, and conceptually. And you can see from that, you learn a few things, like how a particular concept is very easy, actually. They're only a, a tip of the experience, but they're the bit that you can really handle. You can suddenly bring an idea to mind, remember something, bring it to mind. It's called vitaka. 
bringing something to mind. It can be just a skillful thought, an aspiration, a wish. It could be a point in your body. It could be a point in your breathing. The bringing something to mind. We, we can do that. We're not just, uh, you know, sh- pure reflex. Something. So making, taking the opportunity to do that. So don't not so in meditation. It's not about letting things slide into some imagined natural state. Things don't slide into natural state. Things slide into reflexes. <laughs> That's the default. You, know, you hit the kind of the wiring. How you're wired. It takes some skill to get past that. This, in a way, is, is, the, is the effort, the, perhaps the hard bit. Patience, persistence. So we look for you know, skillful things we can do. Reflection, thinking. And deepening it into, the, into feeling. And this process of deepening, by itself, tends to skim off stuff that's just not worth staying with. You know, trivial curiosities, you know, odd musings, it just skims it off because you go to the feeling level, it's pretty much nothing. It's just, just movement, agitation. Things that are really meaningful. Where the meaningful stuff, actually, you can feel it in your body. You really unify around that. So there's a natural process of that. And this, this uh, when we we bring when we study this when we practice like that, you begin to see how uh, you know the, get to the point. It's called manasikara. You only saw manasikara, skillful attention. So you know, you're thinking about I don't know, cleaning the room or something like that. Doesn't seem very important. Why is it hold? Why is it there? And you go into the feeling of it, and you get the emotion of uh, needing to be busy, or needing to pay my way, or wanting to feel, make things feel clean. It could be either negative, or, or, a, or a, a neurotic, or an unpleasant habit, or it could be a skillful one. You know, wanting things to be bright or clean, you know. Or it could be just some nagging restlessness. So you see underneath the thought you come to the emotional pattern or program there. Then that's the place where your investigation at Dhamma Vijaya can practice. What's that about? Is that really true? Useful? Hmm? No, not true. Or there's something true there. Something needs to be held carefully. And awareness will sort that out. So when we come to, um, then this is the, the adjunct of mindfulness is full awareness 
So when you filter, you sieve down, you filter out some of these thought patterns and you come down to the the, the nitty-gritty of it, then just being fully aware of that as it changes and moves, breathing and then breathing in and out through it, feeling your body in that. And that by itself has interesting effects. Sometimes you see the bits you... Oh, yeah... You know, generally letting go. Because there shouldn't really be a need to store up a whole lot of the past. So, but we keep doing that because of hmm? why? What's happening? Why does it do that? Part of it is just a reflex to keep constructing ourselves. Something wants to keep constructing who we are. Is that necessary? How much is necessary? So in meditation we're structuring our experience around something like breathing in and out because that is necessary. <laughs> you know? So that's, that's going to hold us together. We need that. We need the sense of um, mindfulness, ethical understanding called wisdom. So wisdom is there in ethics and in, and in compassion. What's, you know, discernment as to what's true, good causes and effects. Mindfulness helps you to really get that wisdom to be much more than just theoretical but fully experienced. Full awareness gives you the results. So all this is part of the process of composing and unifying. You're kind of sieving through what's really needed, what can be let pass so the word concentration is perhaps has its limit has its limitations most broadly speaking we say the process of bringing the, the awareness into unified unity into clarity and unity and firmness all this and it's an active process vitaka pointing directing attention vichara feeling it out Mindfulness, bringing something into mind, bearing with it, full awareness. So vitaka is like mindfulness, vichara is full awareness. It's the tool of that. Full awareness, you're sensing something. Vichara, you're exploring it, feeling it. There's a point in all that where the very quality of the full awareness itself and the mindfulness itself is giving you the support so you don't need to creating yourself. It's like that is the structure. And 
instead of the structure being the content, the structure becomes the, the, that which contains, that which does the holding. So it's a much, see, it's a much more open structure because then you're not basing your life upon the histories, but upon that which can handle the histories. There's a shift from content to container. And that container is going to be much more perpetually, constantly useful than any of the content. As we know, some of the content is downright drivel or nagging, irritating. Mindfulness and awareness isn't. So you start to bring around that shift. Quality of awareness and mindfulness gives one a sense of strength, clarity, intelligence. And then you can, that, that way of, then the, the emotional power of these thought patterns dwindles, becomes more, the energy of that becomes transferred to mindfulness and awareness. So there's a sense of real vigor, confidence. This is how the more the samadhi in its closer definition occurs. Closer definition, composure or concentration. Where characteristically this can be this is around a particular theme, such as breathing in and breathing out, or the in and out breathing process. And but just acknowledging that uh, first of all, it's just even just being in one, being with oneself in a focused way, being mindful and aware. This already is the practice of the work of samadhi. So if you're running things through this process of discernment, cause and effect, mindfulness, full awareness, and it starts to shift things by itself. Start to shift. Things start to drop away, and then effort. So you're applying oneself to being simply present in this body. Giving it occasional this steady boost of discerning particular sensations and feelings in the body, which are helpful, which are not necessary. Where there's tension where we need to bring energy to hold the body so it feels balanced. What to do with the face muscles, what's necessary, what's not necessary. So that the inclination towards composure is like rest rather than, you know, you're looking towards making, making less effort it's not a dull state, but a state of lucid, poised restfulness.
generally, a, I personally move towards just working into the or waiting for the breathing to to arise, coming through the sensations, energies in the body, and they come to balance. Then waiting till one gets some sense of the breathing. So that's all, to me, there's a skill in that. It's not just a clumsy, grab this, count the breath, force your attention onto that. It's, a, it's much more thorough skill of handling one's awareness, the content, the containers, the structures of it. Handling the body carefully, bringing the two together. It's care, care and attention, and, and some finesse. Rather like doing calligraphy or Tai Chi, you know, if you're too stiff with it, it doesn't flow. If you're too flowing, it gets sloppy. There has to be a sense of, you know, building up skill so that eventually the the movement happens and it's almost like nobody's doing it. And so to me, that's the breathing. Uh, If there's still somebody doing it, it's not right yet. It's still too stiff, too rigid. So I just wait, wait for it to come. It comes when there's this, when the mind finds a particular balanced place. It's not pushing forward. It's not hanging back. It's it's rested. It's, it has some confidence, feeling the breathing and tracking that. Just like you're tapping into a source. mindful of that the long the short so when the breathing in is first of all we lengthen it to make sure you've got the full expansion the, there isn't restriction in the body particularly around the, the diaphragm or the throat these transition areas diaphragm, throat particularly the places where they can be tightening up or in the jaw, roof, floor of the mouth or even in the forehead so tracking the, seeing the, the length or experiencing the full flow of that and the effects, this slight resonance or energy shifting through the entire length of that it tends to quieten and calm the physical sensations get less and it's a sense of focusing on one point convenient point, comfortable place shorter subtler and then this you really as the sensation process becomes less, the energy process of the breathing tends to heighten. Then you're really into the the transformative quality. Since you can spread this through the whole body just by widening your awareness 
down your chest, down your arms, in your fingers, down your legs, into your feet. You can feel that move, that whole span of it as it as it shimmers, as it tingles with this quality of, of breath energy. And this is the point when when it starts to get a little bit, uh, some rapture occurs, something starts to become, because you, you, the experience is one of being filled rather than doing something. It's as if there's a shift over from a lot of trying to make it work and doing it into the flow experience, such as when you're, you know, playing music or, you know, doing a piece of work, it starts to get into flow. First of all, you keep, you know, plugging away at it, and then, ah, uh, then it's starting to, become natural, like you're chanting. You've got the chanting learnt and it just starts to flow. And you get this quality of pity or a sense of uh, uh, it's coming to you. You're not pushing it. The boat is lifting. You're not dragging it along. And then this quality. And particularly the mind sometimes comes up with various ways it perceives that as brightness or light or shift or a sense of awe, uh, thrill, uh, could can be associated with uncertainty because it's you're leaving the boundaries of your normal energy domain, which is quite constricted. Energy becomes more expansive. So it's, it's a little bit unnerving, like uh, any sun energetic shift. So keeping in track with the, the body, holding it in the body, Calming it, cooling it, taking it a moment at a time. Inclination towards ease, towards sitting in the rocking chair, towards watching the sunset, towards lying back in it, resting back in it. Mm-hmm. So this is skill in which we become much more the movement in one way energetically is from me doing something into it happening. So it's transformative in that one's uh, structure, one's personhood, which is psychologically held, you know, we psychologically kind of know ourselves psychologically, We also know ourselves energetically. And the energy could be uh, certain qualities of speed. Hmm. How speedy we are, how reactive we are, how quick we are. Or a persistence, a sense of how dogged we are, or how faltering. Um, How small we feel, or how large we feel. We feel clumsy, or large, or gross, or we feel frail and fragile and delicate you know these these are um, our energetic structure so this process of, of samadhi is transforming that Through, through, and it's through ease, through ease and happiness.
This is, I think it's important to, to just keep bearing that in mind. We're bound to, like any exercise, you get it wrong a thousand times, and it gradually gets a little bit better, or certain places go a bit too weak, or too forceful, or too distracted. It's practicing that towards that quality of, of ease and happiness. This is really um, important benchmark because this is where the transformation occurs. You can't transform yourself because there's always you doing it. You can't change yourself because you're doing it. How can you change you? So you need to come out of that packet, out of that package into something bigger that holds you and bits that you don't need anymore, bits that are just maladapted or neurotic or compulsive start to drop away because you're not system isn't firing them anymore isn't revving them up and to stay in that is transformative we don't always do this in meditation meditation is just the same old me but another thing to do But you do get the feedback. I remember my first two or three years of meditation, it was, uh, at the end of it, I felt like a kind of dried pea, shriveled up, sort of tight. I'm sure I even physically contracted. It was just so intense, driven, holding it together, trying to make it dang thing work, (laughs) getting impatient, impatient, frustrated, disappointed, more effort, impatient, frustrated, disappointing, you know. So it took about five years of trying to just coming out of that particular pattern I'd established in meditation. Meditation was something you didn't really want to do for fun, but you ought to do it to get, you know, where you're supposed to be. But really the samadhi is enjoyment. This is quality of being able to enjoy, give joy, receive joy, embody joy. And then the mind settles. You can't shove it into a, into a bag and suffocate it. That will contract you, tighten you up. And people go, definitely go wacky with this stuff. So you be really careful of this. Here you're getting the feedback from one's own attitudes, assumptions, imperatives. And quite a lot of those are out of sync with truth. So so the body is so important because the body has a natural balance or intelligence that we can come to it's by no means you know being in the body is not not by any means kind of the end of the story but it's it's our place of normalizing breathing in breathing out you know and being in the body this is the place of normalize let, let it teach let it teach us when it feels too pinched you know loosen up will you when it's all flopping around, you know, take up the slack. 
get in there, rein it in a bit. So it's, it's, it's teaching us. And when we respond, teach us to respond in terms of cause and effect, in terms of the qualities of effort, the qualities of attitude that are beneficial, it's going to shine and be a treasure, a life support. And it starts to change the structure of our apparent selfhood into something that's a lot more confident, relaxed, firm, grounded. So even just in, you know, cultivating this, there's much more to it than, than hammering the mind down on one point. It's a whole realignment to health and well-being. Skillful. So if your mind does find itself, it just becomes more unified, you're coming to subtler senses of the breath, of breathing, where the physical sensations become less subdued or less apparent. Remember, the structure is fundamentally mindfulness, full awareness, still keeping that going. Don't drop it. Keep that basic structure there. Sometimes we get into new, new realms, new spaces, we sort of Oh, look at that, you know. We lose the mindfulness, we lose that sense of holding, you just kind of slide, doze, wander. So whatever it is, recognize it's still relative, you know, passing, not self. So the mind can unify, the most important unification is around the sense of knowing itself rather than these, even these restorative effects. So samadhi does lead to heightened wisdom, pure wisdom. Mm.